You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is on assignment this evening. At the Miles Gray inquest today, testimony that casts some doubt on the claims of officers involved in a violent confrontation that ultimately led to Gray's death. As Kristen Robinson reports, firefighters who attended the scene say at first they were prevented from assessing his condition. And when they finally did, the many injuries to Gray were obvious. When Burnaby firefighters arrived at a call for pepper spray on August 13, 2015, they initially attended to two injured VPD officers before they were able to take over first aid on Miles Gray. When they got a look at Gray, they saw raccoon eyes, bruising and blood. Scott Frizzell testified he was quite badly bruised and bleeding, bleeding from his nose and mouth. Young Lee testified Gray had bruising around both eyes, abrasions on the face, forehead, a lot of blood, bruising on his arms, back and legs. Multiple VPD officers have testified they don't recall seeing any blood or injuries on Gray's face. They're just not telling the truth. You can't possibly not see the damage on my son. It was extensive and serious. After being restrained and subject to a significant use of force by seven VPD officers, Gray went into cardiac arrest and died. Police, who were responding to a 911 call about an agitated man who had sprayed a woman with a garden hose, were the only witnesses to his death. And seventeen code three HS. Male's unconscious. He's not responding. Firefighters testified they were initially held back by police who told them to wait as they were having issues restraining the patient who was combative. Frizzell testified Gray was face down with cuffs, his legs were being restrained and he was being held down by multiple officers on both sides. I wouldn't say that at the time he was struggling anymore. Some movement, but not much. Lee told the inquest the patient was obviously in duress and it looked like he was fighting. When questioned by the Gray family's lawyer, who suggested you wanted to assess him, police prevented you from doing that as promptly as you would have liked, Lee replied, correct. I don't think they have any right to stop the firefighters from assessing my son. I mean, obviously, he was in uh, distress. He couldn't breathe. And all this grunting and moving around, yeah, he's fighting for his life. He's breathing. He's not combative, like they say. He's fighting to breathe. Paramedic Jeffrey Hutchinson told the inquest critical care members asked police up to three times what force had been used on the patient before learning no electricity, referring to a taser, just batons and pepper spray had been used on Gray. Kristen Robinson, Global News. An Okanagan mother and father have taken the unusual step of suing, trying to get more information into their son's death during an altercation more than three years ago. In October of 2019, 38-year-old Clayton Donnelly died while police tried to arrest him for erratic driving. In late 2021, the Independent Investigations Office reported to Crown Counsel that an officer may have committed a criminal offense through use of force, but more than three years later, prosecutors still haven't decided whether to lay charges. The Donnelly family's lawsuit alleges police use of a taser on their son amounted to an excessive use of force. You know, we keep asking and then they just say there's nothing. Well, how could there be just nothing? Like, just give us the information you have. Maybe it's not complete, but give us the information. We do try to share some information where possible, um, but at the end of the day, we, we will 
probably always err on the side of caution um, when it comes to the disclosure of information. Um, and because of that, unfortunately, it does mean um, on occasion that the family doesn't receive as much uh, information as they might have wished. RCMP say they can't comment on the allegations for multiple reasons, but say the officers involved in the incident remain operational. None of the allegations has been tested in court. One of the teenagers involved in a violent swarming nearly a year ago was sentenced today in court. Their target, a teen girl, was beaten and humiliated while dozens stood around watching and recording it. As Grace Key reports, the victim's mother says her daughter is still traumatized. The last of three teen girls has been sentenced for a vicious attack in Surrey. To add to the humiliation, the victim was made to kiss their shoes. One youth was placed on intensive supervision for 18 months. Another got 18 months conditional discharge and the last received the same. I'm okay with the 18 months with in this situation. I'm not okay with the 18 months in the, in the, with the main aggressor. She has proven over and over again to not follow rules and the laws don't apply to her and breaching and going back into custody. Um, even her apology to me in court was, I'm sorry I touched her. Last May, her daughter was lured to Hillcrest Elementary in Surrey under the pretext of celebrating a birthday party. Instead, three girls repeatedly beat her, threw her to the ground and made her kiss their shoes. Others watched. Some recorded the incident. The victim's emotional scars are far from over. Now she's back to not wanting to leave the house again because she is terrified. And she's terrified because the one youth, they can't control her. Her daughter was not in court, but the victim impact statement was read aloud. They kept yelling for someone to hit me over and over. I was so scared. I begged them to let me go home. I thought I did everything right by not fighting back. I didn't understand why they forced me to kiss their shoes to make them stop hurting me. I was crying. I was scared. All I wanted was my mom. My mom always makes everything better, and the pain was so bad. Despite everything that's happened, the victim's mother hopes the teens are able to get their lives back on track. I do want them to get on a better path, and I don't want kids just thrown into the system and lost because that's what happens so often. They made a terrible mistake. Am I angry? Yes, I'm angry, but do they deserve a chance to change their way and be better humans? 100% they do. To this day, the victim can't go into crowds. She has issues with her jaw and has difficulty breathing through her nose. She says she feels like she can't be a kid anymore. Grace Key, Global News. A suspect has been arrested in a string of what police are calling unprovoked assaults at Metrotown last week. Burnaby RCMP allege a man shoved an 89-year-old woman to the ground last Thursday. Officers say the same suspect also assaulted two other people who have yet to come forward to police. A 30-year-old man is now in custody. Anyone who witnessed the assaults or has more information is asked to call RCMP. The Mounties are revamping their recruiting process, trying to tackle a shortfall of more than 400 vacancies across B.C., the highest it's been in recent years. Janet Brown sat down for an exclusive interview with the deputy commissioner and commanding officer of the B.C. RCMP. Like many organizations, the RCMP is dealing with a staffing shortage that's at 8.9% overall. The increase in vacancies blamed in part on some members postponing retirement through COVID until now, but there are other factors too. Policing has also become more challenging, more complex, and particularly more public-facing in social media. 
I think um, in many cases the social narrative of policing, not in just this country but uh, internationally, uh, policing has often been vilified. Um, I think in many cases unfairly so. And we tend in Canada to import a lot of the anti-police narrative that comes from elsewhere in the world that may not uh, hold the same weight here. But that does have an impact on a person's desire to join policing. And to tackle the vacancy rate, a new national recruiting campaign will be rolled out. And we've hired a market research firm to conduct uh, market research on how to re reach the type of applicants that we would like to see join the RCMP. What we've allowed now is to say, uh, I want to serve back in you know, my home province, uh, for example, and we'll allow that to happen. McDonald says the RCMP has to change with the times. The RCMP will not survive unless we continue to evolve. And I think uh, we've shown over the decades uh, that we, we do. We always seek to improve. But what we want is someone that can uh, think on their feet, that has common sense, that is progressive, objective, fair, professional, uh, physically fit, um, morally uh, uh, strong, ethical in how they uh, conduct themselves and committed to their communities. Janet Brown, Global News. And with a decision looming this week about the future of policing in Surrey, McDonald, who was the former Surrey RCMP chief, says the officers are dedicated to the community. Regardless of the decision, you can be assured from the RCMP that again, your safety and our commitments to your community is our priority number one, no matter what. So regardless of decision, we will be there for the next shift and we will continue to be there for the next shift. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, uh, policing and justice go hand in hand and bail mm -hmm. reform was again a hot topic during question period. At issue, of course, is the release of repeat violent offenders. How did it go today? Yeah, again, last night, of course, we reported on new statistics from the B.C. Prosecution Service showing that uh, when it comes to Crown's request for detending, uh, detentions for violent offenders, judges only granted detentions less than 50% of the time. But somewhat got less attention, I think, yesterday was something raised in the House today, and that's the fact that basically overall the Crown is still uh, asking for a relatively small number of detention orders with violent offenders. In fact, it's about 30% of people charged with violent crimes. Eleanor Sturk of the, the BC United uh, Party led the charge in question period today. And even as this government insists and kept insisting that the system isn't broken, if you're not already seeing the detention, see, if you're not seeking the detention of half of repeat offenders who've already demonstrated, they've already demonstrated that they're in breach of conditions, then there's something wrong with your directive. We have asked our Crown Council, as I mentioned before, to use everything that they can within the current federal law to address repeat violent offenders. They make independent charge assessments, as I mentioned before, and when they make those assessments and they determine that public safety and the public confidence in the justice system is at risk, they seek detention. What we know from the preliminary data and what I've raised concerns about is that changes to the federal criminal code are needed before our Crown Council and our justice has the tools necessary to actually obtain that detention when it's needed. 
So the data shows that even with the directive Minister Sharma sent to Crown last November, that percentage of, of, of detention orders being sought by the Crown has not really increased. In fact, in some uh, reporting weeks, it's actually gone down. So it seems to be a twofold problem. One, not enough detention orders seem to be being requested by the Crown, and the judges aren't granting enough detention orders to keep repeat offenders uh, locked up instead of on the streets. It's an issue that B.C. and other governments continue to press Ottawa for change. No sign yet when that change is going to come. Yeah, a lot of British Columbians need it to happen quickly. Yep. Thanks very much, Keith. Global News has obtained some exclusive video of a suspect starting a fire in Surrey that spread to a nearby carport and devastated an agency that helps new immigrants to Canada. Krista Dow reports. The scene along King George Boulevard, almost apocalyptic, with massive flames and heavy smoke lighting up the night sky. The fire spread quickly and the intensity of the flames no match for anything in its path. Windows were blown out and sidings melted. All towed, seven vehicles, bicycles, a play area and a carport all destroyed. It's absolutely devastating for us and losing our carport is particularly devastating because it's not just a carport, it's really the hub of our community. It's where we have community dinners together as an entire building. It's where we do our kids club. The fire broke out just before 1.30 a.m. in an alleyway behind Hilton Road. Global News has obtained exclusive video that shows the alleged suspect. Just after 1 a.m., you can see them rummaging behind the alley. And then minutes later, the suspect deliberately lights a mattress on fire and then casually walks away with their stroller. I see all this stuff here, all this uh, fire, all these vehicles burn out. And, uh, well, I was in shock. All of the windows and sliding glass doors in the back of the building have all cracked. The process now, filing insurance claims and trying to support refugees and their families, many of whom have arrived here from Syria, Afghanistan, Mexico, among others. The vehicles were owned by the newcomers and staff. And while no one was hurt, the effects of the fire will be long-lasting. It, it is traumatizing. Um, many of our families have been forced to flee unsafe situations and this is traumatizing for them as well as our staff who live in the building. It's very unfortunate for these people that they struggle day by day, you know, to make a living and then these fires, so that's going to be hard. And nearby businesses weren't spared with bumpers melted and signs burnt to a crisp. RCMP are trying to determine a motive and say no suspect is in custody. Meanwhile, the fire, another blow to newcomers trying to start over in Canada. Krista Dow, Global News. The city of Surrey has seen a dramatic increase in population, which means overcrowding and portables in use at many Surrey schools. One school board trustee says the district is so desperate for additional space it's considering stacking portables to create more room. Richard Zussman has more. They are appearing as fast as the community is growing. Portables at Surrey schools, and now for the first time, schools are being forced to look up. We're at the point now where we're going to have to start to consider to stack portables, something that I don't know has ever been done. Surrey schools physically running out of space to drop temporary classrooms. A final determination not yet made on how many double-decker portables may be needed. If you stack them, then you're now going to have to provide foundations. You're, you're not just going to able... It's not going to just be like 
containers in a rail yard. Just six years ago, the B.C. government promised to get rid of portables in the province's fastest-growing city. Not only have they failed, it's actually getting worse. In the 2017-18 school year, there were 302 portables at schools across Surrey. Now, there are 361, and estimates are that numbers could balloon to over 400 portables just two years from now. Since 2017, we have been able to open six new schools uh, and uh, seven uh, and 11 expansions. Portables will be a way of life in Surrey as long as we have the increased enrollment every year. The government insists they're playing catch-up, considering the previous government built few schools between 2014 and 2017. We know the smiles when kids talk to us and talk about like what it is like to be in uh, modern classrooms. And uh, so that's what we want for the Surrey students, and that's what we are working towards. The federal government says it's interested on working with the provinces on the issue of repeat violent criminal bail reform. But the province says that the measures we've put in place here in B.C. to have a directive to keep those offenders behind bars without bail doesn't work until Ottawa steps to the plate. They have to find ways to cut the budget in order to bring in these portables. It's an absolute lack of foresight by this government that's now in its second term. The cost of portables come out of operating budgets, meaning schools have to reduce other supports in order to build them. A portable classroom with some very permanent implications for students. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Apologize for a little technical glitch in that story. Listen, combat, compounding the problem is a lack of capital funding to meet Surrey's growing population. The district recently learned the province has only funded 750 net new seats for September. That's far below the expected jump in enrollment of 2,200 students next year. Police cars, ambulances and wrecked vehicles were on display outside a Richmond High School, all in the name of road safety. Students benefit from taking part in interactive demonstrations put on by ICBC and first responders. The event is designed for high school students, many of whom are now learning or new drivers, to give them a real-world understanding of how devastating a car crash can be. Our message is uh, basically to uh, be safe, drive safe out there, and uh, use your road sense when you're on the road. There's uh, 71 crashes uh, per day in BC that involves youth. And we'll make sure that they're making the right decision behind the wheel when they're on the roads in British Columbia. Between now and the end of the school year, ICBC will be bringing its road safety tour to schools all around the Lower Mainland. Damning testimony at the National Women's Sport Committee hearing. How many more stories will it take for those of you in government to demand a national inquiry? Allegations of abuse and discrimination at the highest levels of Canadian sport and what former athletes want done about it. Next on the News Hour. I have been a Saturday widow for 46 years, and I am so looking forward to having the first Saturday with him. A bittersweet farewell to Napier's Country Antique Store and how it could be a boon for bargain hunters coming up later on the news hour. And police are looking for more than 900 meters of rope stolen in a bizarre theft. That's also coming up. Right now, though, a group of four elite female athletes are demanding the government launch a national inquiry into sports culture in this country. As Catherine Urquhart reports, they're calling for an open accounting of the handling of abuse and misconduct allegations in sporting organizations at all levels. 
One after another, they told stories of abuse in elite Canadian sport to a House of Commons committee. Former fencer Emily Mason described how one coach lured athletes to his home, then brought out sex toys. There has been a culture of toxicity, bullying and abuse pervasive in Canadian fencing for decades. Mr. Berarda, anything to say? Nothing to say at all. Former Whitecaps and national soccer coach Bob Berarda was convicted of three counts of sexually assaulting teen players and jailed for two years less a day. For years, complaints were ignored and covered up. Then whistleblower Kira McCormack exposed him in a blog. She and others continue to demand an inquiry. As I have watched these government hearings and seen countless athletes bravely re-traumatize themselves telling their horrific stories, I can't help but ask myself, how many more stories will it take for those of you in government to demand a national inquiry and implement real change? Canada's Minister of Sport thanked athletes for their testimony but refused to commit to an inquiry. When I'm ready to announce uh, the process that we're uh, going to put in place, uh, I will come back and explain uh, the process and how it will work and uh, why we chose that process. Andrea Neal, a former national soccer player, is among the athletes who aren't backing down. Please take the action that will institute real change. We need a national inquiry. The athletes say this is a pivotal moment, one that will determine the future of sport in Canada. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Despite growth in the number of female coaches in Canadian sports, there's still a big gender disparity. According to the Coaching Association of Canada, 66% of coaches in this country are men. Only 34% are women. The association says that means that most young girls involved in sports are coached by men in a position of power, no matter what the level of competition. A $50 million boost for BC's tourism industry coming up. Past three years have been difficult, and the tourism industry has really been hit hard. What the money will be used for, including how it will help an iconic Vancouver attraction. And it's probably not what comes to mind when you think about climate change, how inhalers are part of the problem, according to a new study. Good evening and some good news here in Surrey. Final clearing stages of a multi-vehicle accident westbound on Fraser Highway at 96th Avenue. Westbound traffic is still blocked for now. Integra Tire is proud to serve the communities they are part of. Contact your today and get up to $100 in tire rebates. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. Expo 86 is widely hailed as the event that introduced BC to the world as a travel destination. Now, more than 35 years later, one of the few remaining Expo buildings is getting some badly needed renovations. As Travis Prasad reports, the repairs to Science World are part of $50 million in funding from the BC government to help the province's tourism sector rebound from the pandemic. The iconic dome at Science World is undoubtedly eye-catching, but on the inside, it's turning heads for all the wrong reasons. These buckets are collecting rainwater. The dome has been leaking for almost three years now, leaving the Omnimax Theatre out of order. The current condition, a far cry from the building's heyday at Expo 86. The dome above us is the only part of the building that hasn't been updated 
and it shows. Now the B.C. government is providing $20 million for critical HVAC and electrical work. This is going to include repairing the leaking dome and making the building more energy efficient, which will save money over the long term. Last year, the feds gave $10 million to Science World for renovations and new exhibits, but the CEO says more funding is needed. We do have a significant infrastructure deficit that uh, we've known about for a couple of years and have been working with all levels of government, frankly, to uh, see what we could do to address it. While touring Science World, Premier David Eby also announced $30 million to help with 90 tourism projects across the province including Delta's Barnes to Beaches bike route and BC's network of mountain bike trails. The past three years have been difficult. Tourism is rebounding with nearly 3.5 million international travellers in BC last year. Still, the numbers are not back to pre-pandemic levels. We are determined to support tourism as a government and build back BC's $22 billion tourism economy. Back at this Vancouver landmark, the work is already underway to keep what was supposed to be a temporary expo attraction shining bright for generations to come. Oh. Travis Prasad, Global News. Flight attendants from 10 different airlines protested unpaid work at YVR today. QP's airline division represents about 18,000 flight attendants across Canada. Many staged a day of action at some of the country's largest airports. The division president says flight attendants work, on average, an extra 35 hours of unpaid labor a week. Anything we do prior to the aircraft is in motion is what we're not paid for. So that could be the boarding process, deplaning process, assisting with baggage, um, helping with medical emergencies on the ground, boarding the plane, uh, service, ground service, all those types of issues. Union members say they are hoping to keep a good relationship with the public while raising awareness about the issue. And they're hoping to address this with their employers at the bargaining table. Coming up, residents of a troubled apartment building forced to leave. I'm surprised that uh, maybe they allowed people to move back in in the first place. A tower too dangerous to live in. And how it's not the first emergency evacuation of the building. Plus, a peculiar theft from a historic site on Vancouver Island. How hundreds of meters of rope has disappeared. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just some leftover volume on the Richmond side, eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Integra Tire is proud to serve the communities they are a part of. Contact your local dealer today and get up to $100 in tire rebates. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Residents of a Langford rental building were forced to pack up and move out at a moment's notice after learning their building is too dangerous to live in because of unresolved structural and design flaws. Kylie Stanton spoke to them as they cleared their belongings out for the second time. They say when one door closes, another one opens. <clears throat> but for tenants here, it sure doesn't feel that way. It's been a nightmare. It's been... Uh... Very upsetting. It's exhausting. It's just your heart drops. Late Monday afternoon, an email went out to everyone who calls Ridgeview Place home, citing serious concerns with structural elements of the building. Building manager Centurion Property Associates writes, By way of this bulletin, we are providing you with the difficult but important notice to vacate your unit immediately. Everyone was rushing out. It was a 
it was a circus over here. I'm not very happy about it because we were told when they moved in that everything was fixed and everything was safe and so we trusted them. This is the second time in four years the 11-story 90-unit building initially known as Danbrook One has been evacuated. Back in December of 2019, structural and design flaws forced everyone out right around the holidays. And while those concerns were said to be addressed, it's now clear that was not the case. We don't know why. At this point, the city has no plans to step in with financial support to help those who have been displaced. And when the question was put to BC's housing minister, he had this to say. I think it's important to note here that this is very much in the city's um, domain. We will be working with Centurion to make sure they are providing you guys the support that we expect them to do. Global News reached out to Centurion Property Associates for comment, but did not receive a response. The company is providing tenants with $1,000 as a gesture of compassionate assistance. But the big question is where exactly is everyone going to go? So just everyday researching and reaching out to, to um, properties and just taking it day by day, really. Tenants told Global News at least a quarter of the residents are in the process of launching a class action lawsuit. There is no firm timeline as to when the necessary work will be completed or when the occupancy permit will be granted yet again. But many here say they have no plans on ever coming back. Definitely not, no. <laughs> that door is now firmly closed. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Kelowna RCMP have released surveillance photos of a suspect in a destructive vandalism spree. The vandalism has been going on for as long as a month in the city's Pandosi village area and has hit about 30 businesses. The suspect uses a rock or a metal tool to scratch a tag into windows, damaging them beyond repair and causing tens of thousands of dollars in damage. It's frustrating because uh, it's, it's going to be incredibly costly uh, at a time where restaurants really can't afford to be replacing windows. This is insane, yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah, this is definitely insane for, for Kelowna to look like this. Police are appealing for help tracking down the suspect before any more damage is done and hope the surveillance photos will help put an end to the crime spree. West Shore RCMP are hoping to wrangle some help from the public to solve a bizarre theft. Overnight on April 19th, someone stole about 1,000 meters of nylon rope from the Fort Rod Hill and Fiskard Lighthouse National Historic Sites in Colwood. The bright blue and turquoise cord was being used to line trails and create pathways to protect visitors to the site and the area's delicate ecosystem. If you have any information that could help unravel the crime, please contact West Shore RCMP. New research says inhalers for asthma are a significant source of climate-changing greenhouse gases. That's according to a new study published in the BC Medical Journal. The Fraser Health-led study found propellants used in pressurized metered-dose inhalers contain liquefied gases that have a serious carbon footprint. Researchers say the gases from some inhalers are equivalent to nearly a quarter of all greenhouse gas emissions from Fraser Health facilities. There's many, many more options available for patients with respiratory disease that do not require the propellants. And a lot of these times, these inhalers are actually better for, for their asthma or COPD. And again, Dr. Kevin Liang says dry powder and soft mist inhalers don't use the same climate 
damaging propellant, so ask your doctor or pharmacist about that. Coming up, a love of history that will soon be history. I've had a great run at this. Why the couple behind the iconic Napier's Country Antiques is selling almost everything off, and the one thing they'll keep. Plus, a moose strolls into a movie theater in Alaska. It sounds like the opening line of a joke, but it's real. That's right after the weather forecast. Second November, November, whatever you've called the last few weeks, uh, we can finally say goodbye to it. Here's Christy with the details. Yeah, so much to look forward to, that's for sure, Chris. I thought it would give you some perspective. Actually, this is looking back at sort of the last month. It doesn't include the last five days. It didn't have a graph showing that, but you know well well know that it has been below seasonal for the last five days. So basically what this graph shows you is this being the normal, and this is sort of the deviation from normal over the month. And you can see we were well below that other than a few days. And this being above normal by about uh, sort of two and a half degrees, we are going to soar well beyond that as we head into next week. So we'll be climbing out of this trend, that's for sure. Uh, of course, we talked about the concern for the snow melt. At this point, there isn't big concern, which is great. Uh, it's going to be a, pre a brief uh, warming trend. And these are temperatures near the water, away from the water from Metro Vancouver. We're talking about 25, 26 degrees. Sunday, though, we'll see the temperature drop. So it's going to be short-lived as a, a few days heading into the weekend. Now, we do still have a few showers in the forecast tomorrow morning. And it's going to kick up a number of thunderstorms in the Chilcotin up through the central interior regions as well. Uh, it does clear out by the afternoon, as you can see here. But for those of you in these regions here, a strong westerly wind at 50 to 70 kilometers an hour in terms of gusts expected, as well as those thunderstorms. Here's your forecast, though, for your uh, Wednesday. Again, it's a transition day with a few showers in the morning, but you can definitely expect it to clear out by the afternoon. There's Kamloops, though, 23 degrees. So those of you in the southern interior, you'll see a bit of a rain shadow effect. So I'm not expecting those showers for your region. We will certainly see that, but 14 degrees is finally back to near seasonal for this time of year. And yes, these are the temperatures that we're going to look forward to as we head into what will feel like a balmy summer-like weekend. Tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Abbotsford. This little guy was captured on camera by Cindy. Isn't he the cutest? Chris He's very, very cute. And we'll keep the wildlife theme going for just another moment or two here. Check this out. A moose on the loose in a movie theater in Alaska giving employees quite the surprise. Video captured the moment a mysterious guest decided to walk Ricky. into the theater. At first it seemed confused, maybe a little shy, Ricky. but it didn't take long before the animal found the popcorn. And after a little snack, the moose simply walks itself back out of the cinema. No word yet on which movie the moose was planning to attend. But I will say Super Mario Brothers was playing at that Alaska theater, so maybe that's what it was. I'm guessing he had heard incorrectly that there was a new Bullwinkle movie. <laughs> That's right. Rocky Wasn't there a Bullwinkle movie a long time ago? I thought there was. <laughs> well, uh, we, had a, we had a beaver and a moose there. It's not quite the same as a squirrel and a moose. It's kind of like Hinterland's Who's Who. That's true. That's going back, too. Uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps have traded Christian Dahomey to D.C. United, a team where he might find his game again. It was to a place where the team plays in a way that is most suited to his characteristics. Yeah, he just wasn't fitting in with the way the Whitecaps play the game these days in Vancouver. Realized it, realized it was time to part ways. Better late than never. Also tonight, a love affair with antiques comes to an end. Why Ken Napier 
is selling off all the treasures he's collected for the past half century. Later. All right, Squires here, and a uh, little lineup juggling for the Whitecaps. Well, yes, um, this is a big juggle, though. Mm -hmm. They've thrown a ball all the way over to the east coast <laughs> of the United States. The uh, Vancouver Whitecaps have traded Christian Dahomey to D.C. United for allocation money. Almost, well, it's 300 and something now. It could go up to 550. You can use that against the salary cap. Dahomey played with Vancouver since 2020, but he really has not been that effective offensively in the last year and a bit. Did score 10 goals in 2021, but lately, I hate to say it, Dahomey is where scoring chances go to die. But maybe it was a case of him not really fitting in to Vanny Sartini's system the way he seemed to fit in with Mark DeSanto's way of using him. I'm sad personally because, you know, it's a guy that I worked together for three and a half years and I know him very well. And But I also think that it's a good move for his career. He goes to a place where the team plays in a way that is most suited to his characteristics with classic winger in a 4-4-2. He can more, probably have more minute in his natural position. And uh, I'm also happy that he's not going to go to a Western Conference rival. So we didn't, we didn't basically give uh, uh, a, a good player to our competitors. Ah, the BC boys very much helping out Team Canada at the U18s. Matthew Wood of Nanaimo, who plays at the University of Connecticut, former BCHL Rookie of the Year, had three goals today. In this case, I'm not sure if he's following the puck or the puck follows him. Whatever the case, he keeps after it and scores to make it 2-0 in the first period. Then Macklin Celebrini, who's from Vancouver, sets up Wood to make it 3-0 in the second. Celebrini, the son of Rick Celebrini, who runs the... Uh, all the medical people for the Golden State Warriors, former pro soccer player around here. Matthew Wood had three. That one made it four to one. We're not done with the BC boys. Victoria is Ty Halliburta of the Vancouver Giants. He scores 5-2. It's a nice shot. And then Lucas Dragasevich from Celebrini. More BC boys. As Canada won this easily by the score of eight to three. Canada is now off to the quarterfinals. Remember, Canada lost the first game of this tournament 8-0. They seem to have bounced back to play Switzerland on Thursday. Well, the Abbotsford Canucks, of course, swept their first-round series, which was only a best of three. It's not likely they'll be able to sweep in round two since they are facing the Calgary Wranglers, who were the best team in the regular season in the American Hockey League this year. But Abbotsford was able to play Calgary tough, and maybe it's better that Canucks get the toughest opponent in round two, because if they can win this one, who knows how far they can go. The Abbotsford Canucks and Calgary Wranglers are set to face off for the 13th time this season. Wranglers holding the upper hand against Abbey, taking eight of 12 games between the two during the regular season. Calgary a league best 51 wins and 106 points. Phillips, tees it up, and he scores! Um, we were excited when we found out we got Calgary, because it's a challenge, You're, you know. I think we talked about it last week. You're going to see everybody in playoffs. You're going to see the best team. So it doesn't matter when you get them. Um, you're going to see them. So it's an exciting time of year. Looking for somebody. He's got Dalian Wolf robs him. 
Calgary's last line of defense is league MVP Dustin Wolf. The 22-year-old led American Hockey League goaltenders in every statistical category in being named the league's top goalie for the second straight year, something that's never happened before. It's going to be hard. We're going to have to make it tough on him. We're going to have to get to the nets. Um, just make him look around us, get bodies in front of him. We got to get little bumps. It's that is what it is. It's playoff hockey. You see it in the NHL. It's it happens every night. It's you just got to make life difficult for him. Not only does Abbotsford have the momentum of sweeping Bakersfield in the opening round of the playoffs, they also took two of three from Calgary to end the regular season, including a big 4-1 victory with Wolf between the pipes. We felt we would play them. We would have to play them to advance here. Which, which awards didn't they win for the league? You got Coach of the Year, Goalie of the Year, MVP, uh, First Team All-Stars. So. Um, we understand it's a big challenge, but I think we're, we're excited for it. It's, it's a great measuring stick for our group to see where they're at in their development. Obviously, for the team, this is the end. There's no measuring stick. We, we go, and one team's going to get through, and one team won't. Almost double. Okay. 180,000 180, bucks. Okay. He's telling me this because <laughs> i got to tell you this. The uh, players from Tottenham Hotspur have offered to pay back the ticket costs for all of their 3,000 supporters who traveled to watch Tottenham lose on the weekend 6-1 against Newcastle United. Can you imagine if the Canuck players had to pay back the money their fans paid to see some of their disasters? They'd be broke. Tottenham was thoroughly embarrassed. They fell behind 5-0 in just 21 minutes. Their interim coach was fired. The goalkeeper, Hugo Lloris, personally apologized to the fans who traveled to watch them lose. Now, Newcastle is having a very good season. It's not like they lost to a bad team, but the loss was bad enough that they're going to pay the fans back for all the ticket money that they had to pay to watch that. And they say it could be about 90,000 pounds, which is... 180,000 Canadians. There, thereabouts. Around there, thereabouts. Around there, okay. There Amazing. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, Langley's iconic antique store, prepares to close its doors for good. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, it is that time of year. Pothole season, and as usual, you don't have to look very far to find them. It often takes weeks or months for a local government to fix all of them. But tonight, there's one lower mainland city promising to have all its potholes patched, more than 150 of them, by the end of this week. And now people who live elsewhere are asking, why can't my city do that? We'll look into that tonight on Global News at 11. Chris? I won't give it away, but I know they do things a little differently in that. The mayor does things a little he differently does. in that. Very state. active on Twitter, too. For sure. All right. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, it's the end of an era in Langley. Napier's Country Antiques has been a fixture at Glover Road and 216th for more than 50 years. But retirement looms, and the antique store that opened in the early 1970s is preparing to close for good. In This is BC, Jay Durant talked to the man who started collecting everything as a kid. Moving day in Milner after the sale of the old double-decker bus that holds sentimental value for Ken Napier. And the exact day my dad went to be with the Lord, um, I got a phone call from the church in Abbotsford that the bus was available to me at noon that day. And I said, I'll take it. 
For 54 years, he's been buying and selling antiques of all shapes and sizes. Ken was just a teenager when this career first caught his attention. It all started on this old bike, now set up over the shop door. I would pedal my bike over to Cloverdale from Milner here on a Saturday and uh, work for the man in a secondhand store when I was 14 years old just to learn how to buy and sell and trade and do things. In 1972, he started laying bricks for what would become the home of Napier's Antiques. They've been in business at this location for more than 50 years. Our signs, we sell a lot of repop signs. This is full of telephones. The silver right now is a really big deal. This area here is a massive selling area of bottles. In addition to all the loyal customers, it's also been one-stop prop shopping for the TV and film industry. We supply props to Riverdale, Supernatural, Border Town, um, all kinds of different movie productions. Probably, I'm going to say, 80 or 90 different productions easily. With each sale, this vast collection is slowly getting whittled down ahead of retirement in the fall. But there are some things Ken won't part with. He has a trunk. He told the kids as they were growing up that he wants to be buried in that because it's such a nice trunk. So he'd say, you can snap my legs and stick me in. It wasn't easy to say goodbye to the bus, but everything at Napier's will hopefully find a good home, whether it sells or not. We're going to open the windows, we're going to throw it out the parking lot, and if it lands in good shape, anybody can take it away when they want. <laughs> We've done that before. <laughs> we have. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. Well, they might get some scavengers there for sure. And if you've got a great story you want to share, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Well done, Napiers. Mm -hmm. It's quite a life. All right, that's all the time we have tonight. Have a great evening, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Good night.